Hello and welcome to Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. We're a new church with a desire to bring our hope in Jesus Christ to the people of Helensburgh and beyond and live as a community shaped by the gospel. If you live in Helensburgh or are just passing through, we'd love you to join us sometime. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.15 at the Helensburgh and Lowman Civic Centre. But now, here's the latest sermon from Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. You can find the Bible references and more information in the episode notes. Well, really this morning we're thinking uh, not in depth of each of these three passages, but thinking really about what these three passages really point us to uh, and teach us. And maybe we've mentioned it already. You saw that word coming up time and time again, covenant. And maybe when you hear the word covenant, you might think of something like a wedding. I'll be honest, my mind goes to Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, or at least there's a time where that would have simply been my thought, you know, the Ark of the Covenant there. But most of us probably think of a, of a marriage ceremony, it's that legal word, and I think, I'll be told if I'm wrong, but I think that it's sometimes still used in legal circles, um, but it's certainly not an everyday phrase that we'd use. I'm seeing a shake of the head, it's not used in legal circles. Um, but the, the related word that we might more uh, frequently use is, is promise. But as we said to the kids, covenant is a really strong promise. And, and the Bible talks about covenants a lot, which is why I, I, I'm bringing this up. And really, um, we, need to, 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 we need to know this word, to understand uh, uh, this part of the Bible. Don't let that freak you out as some sort of uh, system of dry legalities and so on. What we're actually thinking about, uh, as I hope we'll see today, is the relationship that God creates with us. The way that God interacts with his people. We're talking about relationship. We've been seeing the story of the Bible and um, we reflected on creation, on how God made everything around us and he made us. And then we saw uh, last week... Uh, how Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sinned. They did wrong and they kind of broke everything. They, uh, we saw how they became alienated from their, themselves. There was shame from God. They broke that relationship from each other and, and even from creation. Uh, all these things were broken and uh, Adam and Eve couldn't fix them. We saw they tried to cover themselves up but they couldn't do it. And yet we saw a hint as well, even as humanity shot itself in the foot, we saw how God was already announcing that he was going to fix things. Even back then in Genesis chapter 3 it was. He was going to be compassionate, he was going to show mercy, he was going to show love to these people who had turned against him, who had told him, we don't want you, we're going to ignore you, we can, we're better off without you. That's what they said to God. But God says, okay, you think that, uh, and you're going to ignore me, but God says he's going to come to us. And the way he does this is through these promises, through these uh, covenants. And that's what we see. Nine chapters later, chapter 12, we see the start of the story of a man called Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham, as he's sometimes called. Important too, uh, to Christianity, to, to, to Judaism, to, to Islam as well. This is an important uh, part 
of the Bible. And what we're seeing in our unfolding story is the beginning of God's plan to rescue us, to save us, to to bring us to heaven, to to recreate, to renew the whole world and everything uh, and everyone who has faith in him. This is the the, uh, the the turning point of the story, one of many turning points. And the way that God does it is through this thing we call a covenant. Uh, it, it's, it's stronger than a promise. Someone described it as a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, which sounds very grand and technical. But really what it's saying is that this promise that it's made, it's so important that it's sealed even by blood. It's sealed by death. But it's one that's not a partnership of equals. You know, when, when two people get married, we're seeing a partnership of, of equals, two people made in God's image. But when God makes promises, it, it's sovereign. He's the king and he's telling the people, this is how it is. Thankfully, he does that. It's a relationship, in other words, that, that's built on God's grace, on his goodness. And he expresses it in these promises he's showing his love for us his care for us that he that he will save us that's what we see as god speaks to abraham we read from these few passages and we kind of just shot right through it so we're going to slow down a little bit and see a little bit at least of what of what what god is teaching us and what we see is we see first of all god's promises we see what god promises second of all we see the who promises it And the answer is obviously God, but we're going to see his character, who this God really is, what he's like. And third of all, we see how Abraham responds to these promises, to the to the covenant, if we we want to put it like that. How does God respond? So first of all, what does God promise? He promises something to Abraham, who, uh, if we'd read just the end of chapter 11, we would see was a very normal sort of person at that time. He was quite wealthy. He lived with his father, um, uh, Terah, uh, another family. They were in a city, a big city, a a prosperous city called Ur. And they were settled there and they worshipped idols. They, They had their gods. They went about their life, as many people do. He was a normal person for that time. But it's one of the the favourite tropes, isn't it, of literature and film, you know, the seemingly unimpressive, the unremarkable is plucked from obscurity uh, and becomes the the hero that the world needs. The Lord of the Rings has Frodo. The Harry Potter books have Harry Potter. Uh, And pretty much anything that you watch, you're going to find that kind of idea. The Bible did it first because Abraham is taken from his life And he's called by God. God speaks to him and tells him, go, go from your country, as we read in chapter 12, go. This wealthy man, he's called from his his worshipping idols, his just living what most people would call a normal life. And he's told to go. And God makes these huge promises. Even in chapter 12, he makes these huge, huge promises. What does he say? Um... Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And so on. All these things. He's promising uh, lots. In the other chapters, he has all these things. Uh, I just I had a, a quick read to just try and write down as many of them as I could. He promises a great nation. This one man. This is how crazy these promises seem. This one man will be the beginning of a great nation. The nation of Israel. 
He'll be a blessing. His name will be great and others will be blessed just to be around him. Those who go against him will, will be cursed as well. All families of the earth will be blessed. He'll have a great reward in chapter 15. His own son will be his heir. Again, chapter 15. His descendants will be as many as the stars. They will be off, uh, his offspring will be sojourners. They'll be afflicted. And, and that's what happens when they go to Egypt. You know that story. But they'll return with great possessions. Abraham will be the father of a multitude of nations. Chapter 17. They will have God as their God. Chapter 17 verse 8. I will be their God. It will be for you and your offspring, he promises in 17 verse 7, and his wife. Later on in chapter 17, we didn't read it, but his wife Sarah will have her own son. And she was, well, she was in her 90s, so uh, you know, not humanly possible. There's a lot of promises, um, and we're not going to look at each one individually at this time. But just to say that God promises that this man will be given so many things that seem impossible. That these promises are not your, your bog-standard promise. Uh, they're not the promise we might make to kids or that the kids might make to us. They're the promises of wonderful, amazing, impossible things. But what it tells us is that God does care about saving people. These promises are a reversal of what happened when sin came into the world. He's going to have his own people. God is going to have his own people. Instead of that division between God and people, there's going to be relationship. Um, there's going to be uh, land. Eden is lost, but they're going to have a new place. A place that they're to care for, the land of Israel. Uh, the, the God is making, God's promise is to make right everything that went wrong. They're going to be a people together. There's going to be uh, some sort of healing of that division between people. That's the promises that God makes. You might think, well, that's fine. That's Israel. We're not Israeli. We're not Jewish. We're not any of these things. What about us? And we're not promised the exact same things uh, through Christ in the New Testament. We, we don't look to a political nation. We don't have physical material rewards here on earth we're not looking for some land that is uh, that is somehow uh, better but what we're looking for we aren't united by ethnicity we're united by christ but remember god promised abraham he'd be a blessing to all nations that kind of points us forward when we look at the perspective of today when we bring jesus into the equation Jesus, the direct descendant of Abraham, came and died to fulfill these promises, to restore what's broken. And so what we have is these things spiritually. We are a nation. We are God's people. We're, you know, some of us are from Scotland here. Some of us are from England. Some of us are from the Netherlands. But we're all God's people. We're part of that nation. Um, we have that spiritually. We are blessed spiritually. We have forgiveness. We are uh, loved by God. We can say that he is our God and that we are his people. We have all these things that Abraham was promised, but actually we have them in an even greater way. And the land that we have is the land that is to come in the new creation when Jesus comes back. A place where everything is fixed, 
where there is no need, where there is no pain, where there is no suffering. That's the promises that we have. In a way, they're the same as Abraham's promises, but they're realized, they're given in a far greater way, in a far uh, more beneficial way, not the, the sort of temporary way that is here, uh, a land, a, a nation of Israel and so on, but in a permanent, everlasting, eternal uh, way. That's what God promises to us. He promises all these things, all the wrong of this world, undone. Everything made new. A land, a people, a God to be our God. That is what we have when we have our faith in Jesus. We are one of his people. We are loved. We are cared for. And he won't leave us. He will do it all. Because he is worth following. That's what I want us to see as well. All these promises sound grand. They sound good. Maybe they sound too good to be true. I don't know. Um, But then when we see who promises it, maybe we can start thinking that this is for us. Because the one who promises it, this is our second point, who promises it. We've seen what God promises. This is who promises it. The one who promises it is God himself, the creator of all things. And if anyone has the power to, to, to make these promises happen, it's going to be God. It's one thing to promise something, though. It's another thing to deliver. When, when someone makes a promise to us, we usually decide if we're going to trust them based on who they are, based on their personality, based on how well we know them, what they're like, um, what we think uh, they're actually going to do. Um, maybe, dare I say it, but sometimes we find it hard, and this is not a party-specific thing, let me be clear, but we find it hard to trust the, the promises of politicians because we just don't know if we can really trust them, those in, in, in power. But on the other hand, and we don't know these people as, as part of the problem, on the other hand, we find it easier to trust the promises of those who love us, our, 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 our wives, our, our husbands, our parents, our friends, because we know these people, we know their character, we know what they're like. If they say, I'll do this or I'll do that, we think, yeah, I can trust that person. I know that they're going to do it. Or maybe we think, I know that person, they're maybe a bit, you know, they're a bit unreliable. If they say they're going to be on time, they're going to be 15 minutes late leaving um, to, to arrive. We know people. And of course, there's, there's some people, we might promise something and not have the power to keep their promise. Um, you, you know, we, we could promise, I'll, 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 never, I'll never get sick on you, you could promise to, to, to your spouse. It could happen. We, we don't have that power. We can make a promise with the best will in the world, but we can't keep it because of circumstances, because something else will take our attention. Uh, and then people might get hurt and so on. When God makes a promise, we can trust him, though. Because, well, there's three things. First of all, God is a powerful God, uh, as he shows in these verses. God is a personal God, again, as he shows in these verses. And God is a God of grace. First of all, God has power. We said that technical term of bond that's sovereignly administered. And what that is saying to an extent, God has the power to do it. We call a king a sovereign. King Charles is the, the sovereign of the United Kingdom. Because it carries a certain power. Uh, it carries a power to, historically at least, to make laws. To, to make decisions for the whole country. Um, Parliament has that now, but, but that's what that power is. But what we're saying is God has that ultimate universal power. 
and God shows that in chapter 12, maybe you noticed, he says, I will show you. I will make of you. I will bless you. He can claim to do these things. If I was to claim that I could do any of these things, if I was to claim something like I can fly, you would think I'm a madman. Uh, if, if someone came to you and said any, any of these things, you'd think they, they'd lost it. And if someone came to you and says what well, Abraham here is here and says, you're 99 years old, we saw it in chapter 17, and you're going to have a son with your wife who's, who's a similar age to you. Um, you're going to be the father of an entire nation. You're going to be a great nation. Your offspring are actually going to bless the whole world. You would think either you'd lost it or they'd lost it. But God says these things and he has the power to say them. And not just because he says, I will, but he backs up his claims in chapter 15. That's why I read chapter 15. And you may have wondered, it's a strange ceremony to us. It was probably quite a normal ceremony back at that time, thousands of years ago. Abraham's told to bring the animals, cut them in half. Uh, the ones big enough to be cut at least. Chapter 15. And then we, we read how a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between them. Natural question might be, what on earth is going on? What is this? Uh, that was the way of making these covenantal agreements. Even between people, this is what they do. What the person who passed through, you know, the carcasses are laid out uh, and the person would pass through between the bodies. And what they were saying is, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, if I don't keep my promises to you, then let me be like these animals. Let me be killed, basically. They're staking their life on these promises. And so when God, the, the smoking pot and the flaming torch is the symbol of God himself. Often in the Bible, fire represents God because, as we said, he's a powerful God. And what he's doing by passing through there is he's saying, I can do this. I am staking my... If God could die, he's staking his entire life on it. He's saying, let me be like these animals. If I can't do that, if I don't keep my promises to you, if I don't make you a great nation, if I don't bless you, if I don't do this, give you this land then let me be like this. That's what God is saying. He is staking his entire reputation, we might put it, on this. God is making clear that he alone has the power to do this, that he will do that he will do these things for Abraham. Of course, the rest of the Bible, as we're going to see, he does do these things and even expands, makes more promises. But what we're saying is he has the power to do these things. And I think sometimes we get a bit held up because we, we see the things around us, we see our circumstances, we see what's going on, and we get a bit bogged down, we get a bit discouraged, and we begin to wonder, does God really have the power? Does he really have the power to forgive me? Does he really have the power to make everything new? Does he really have the power to, to bring us to, to heaven, to make a new creation? God has staked everything on that. God has given his own son to show that that he does have the power, that he will do it. God's son is resurrected from the dead to show that, that he will do it, that he has the power, that no matter how sinful we are, no matter how discouraged we feel, no matter uh, what we've done in the past, he really does have the power to save and he will use that power wonderfully and he will save. He has made these promises to everyone who has faith in him. His promises, as we said, as we look at from the New Testament, the promise of 
forgiveness of all these things, but in a far greater way. He's made them and he will keep his promises. He has the power to do it. God is powerful, but he's also a personal God. This isn't some distant entity. We think power, sometimes we think of something a bit cold, a bit just not that nice. And maybe sometimes we get the impression of God sort of there, playing with the lives of people, maybe giving some tests to people, just randomly throwing a dart and it lands on Abraham, so we'll pick Abraham. No. This is the God who breaks into Abraham's life, calls him to bring him from worshipping these idols and living for himself ultimately, to following God and having these promises because he knows Abraham, because he uh, he chose Abraham. And he's the God who says, I will. We said that already. He's showing his power, but he's also showing his personality. I will do it. It's not some entity. It's God himself. He's speaking directly to Abraham. He says in chapter 15, verse 1, I am your shield. Again, there's that power to protect, but it's that personal power. It's I'm your shield. I'm going to be there for you. I'm not going to leave you. He's the one who protects and lovingly cares for us. And in chapter 15, verse 14, he's the one who will bring judgment on his people's enemies. And that may sound like a negative thing, but when you stop and think about it, it's actually a very positive thing because God cares for us. And he defends us from enemies. He cares intimately for the needs of his people. And he's a God who says of Abraham's sins, I will be their God. The ultimate promise, isn't it? He's saying that they're going to have this personal relationship. They're going to know me. That's what he's saying. That, that, that we're so closely connected to him that we can say we're God's people. And when you stop and think, we saw the creator of the universe, this ultimate power, and that power, that perfect holiness and goodness says, you're my people. He says to us, actually, you're my son, you're my daughter. That same God, powerful as he is, is a personal, loving God. And it's him again, he restores that relationship we we mentioned how in the garden of eden god was described as walking there and you get that sense of interaction with his people we said how that was torn broken lost well now god's saying i'm fixing that relationship that he will walk with us because we're his people he's our god that restoration is available But third as well, he's a God of grace. Again, it's I will. I will do it. I make these promises. I make this covenant. He's the one who passes between the dead animals. And maybe you noticed, Abraham doesn't. Abraham's party to this, but Abraham doesn't. And he had some things that he he had to do. He had to follow God. But Abraham doesn't pass through. What that's telling us is all these grand promises well God's going to do them it's not going to be that Abraham's going to do it God's not saying to Abraham this is what I promise and you go make it happen no he's saying that the responsibility is on God himself we often look at living as a Christian and think that there's lots we must do to make ourselves acceptable to God that we need to do this and that 
And we even think sometimes that it's our responsibility, that it's all on us to make God's promises happen. And of course, God does invite us to take part in his mission. That's why we plant a church here. That's why we, 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 we share our faith. But we always do it knowing that he's the one who ultimately has that power. That he's the one who says, I will do it. He will do it. Not us. We go out in faith, but he's the one who's going to bring the growth. He's the one who's going to bring the change in our hearts and in other people's lives. Uh, and that actually helps us to do more. It actually helps us to be encouraged. It makes it, it worth actually devoting our lives to him because it tells us that it's not dependent on us. If it was dependent on us, we would have turned away a long time ago. But it's dependent on him. All his promises, well, we said they find their yes in Jesus. But he does it. He fulfills them. That as we go out, we live for him, knowing that we are already blessed with forgiveness, with salvation, with being one of his people, with the hope of heaven. And we can't add anything to that. And so how we live is with gratitude and joy, and that is a far greater motivator to do the things that God commands us to do than if I don't do them, then I won't be saved. Because what the, the gospel says is you are saved. God has made these promises. He has made this covenant. And, and with faith in him, simply faith, you are saved. And so go and bear fruit. Go in joy and thankfulness. Because God is a, a gracious God, a personal God, a powerful God. That's what these passages show us. Uh, that's what his covenant shows us. These three things. And probably many more things. We just don't have time to, uh, to go even uh, deeper. But I think these are three of the most important things we can see. That God has the power to save us. The power to carry out his promises. That this is not a distant God, but a God of love, of relationship. That's what being a covenant God means. And he's a gracious God. He does it. But the good news is such good news because it tells us that he will do it. And that we can't add anything. That it's not our responsibility. He does it. He saves us. He brings the growth. I think we quoted Ephesians 2 last week. It says we're dead in trespasses and sins. Well, the rest of that passage tells us that by grace you have been saved. That it's not works, but that he does it. Maybe go read it later. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. It even says our good works have been prepared in advance. That's what the gospel tells us. He's the one who does it. That's what covenant tells us. That is the gospel, um, really. This promise-making God is the one who saves us. So how do we respond? How does Abraham respond? Our final point well the story needs to move forward we are looking at the bible as a story and needs to keep moving forward and when someone makes us a promise we either respond as we said with trusting them or ignoring them if a parent promises a child they will get a reward if they clean their room the chances are 50 50 maybe uh, i'm only speaking from my own experience admittedly but that they might even clean their room and they probably trust that their parents won't go back on the deal. You know, you made a deal. You've got you to stick with it. Um, well, when Abraham is called in chapter 12, when he said, go to this land, leave your family, leave your wealth, leave everything you've known, all your comfort, all your security. What does Abraham do? But um, he, he goes. Verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot with him. Lot says, uh, his brother, he goes. He goes. There's faith already. Follow. He doesn't question. I'm sure there were lots of questions, as we often have. Uh, he leaves behind those his idol worship. 
his living with the security and comfort of family and friends. He goes. That's his response. And if you sense that God is calling you to be one of his people, then see what Abraham does. He goes and he follows God. He trusts the promises. His faith is simple. But it's one that hears God's promises and follows him. So the question for all of us is how do we respond to God's promises? With doubt or with faith? In fact, in chapter 15, Abraham is doubting because he's still childless. Um, He doesn't have his own son through Sarah and God has promised him children. And he listens to God. Abraham, uh, Abraham's an old man and it seems impossible. But when, when God speaks, we read it in chapter 15, we have the famous words that are quoted in the New Testament because they're so important. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That is the good news. It was faith in the promise-making God. The promises that were seemingly impossible faith in him that's what was counted as righteousness which is a way of saying that god looked at abraham and saw one of his own children saw one of his own people it wasn't because abraham had gone it wasn't because abraham had done anything in particular it was because he believed the lord because he had faith and that's what actually drove him to do things but faith was first that's what christianity is about it's not blind belief it is trust in the god who promises as so, so much. It reminds us that nothing that Abraham did or we do makes us good in God's eyes. It makes us acceptable. It's simply responding to that call of God. Come to me. And saying yes. Following him. Trusting in these promises. And it's not that Abraham was perfect all of a sudden. Sometimes those of us who believe, we can give off this impression that when you believe, you just got to magically be a good person or that it'll make you suddenly a good person abraham does many things wrong he lies uh he travels to places and he's scared that they're going to take his wife so he lies and lets his wife basically he says she's my sister uh, 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 and lets other people marry her um basically which is which is just awful really when you stop and think about it we kind of read and maybe gloss over it a little bit but that's a terrible thing to do um, he sleeps with his servant to have a child um, because God seems so slow in keeping his promises. He still doesn't have a child. So he thinks, uh, and, and his wife, you know, I'll sleep with this servant so I can have a child so that this can come true. Um, but ultimately he has faith and it, he keeps coming back. Though, but really what crucially happens, God keeps coming to him and reminding him of his promises and making these promises. Uh, and if we kept reading chapter 17, he circumcises himself and his children. This was the symbol of being one of God's people, the symbol of, of having faith. He shows that he trusts God. And yet, at the same time, he's laughing because his 90-year-old wife was told that she'll have a child. He falls on his face laughing if you read on to chapter 17. But again, God tells him he'll do it. And so Abraham goes and he carries out the circumcision as a sign of his faith. The point is, just to finish, that it matters how we respond to the promises that God makes. We may come fearful, we may come with doubts, we may come not sure of everything, because how can we know everything? But what we come to is a who. We come to the God who has promised us great and wonderful things that we actually need. He promises us forgiveness. He promises forgiveness. 
to, uh, to make us one of his people. He promises us a new land, heaven. He gives us all these things. These are the promises that we look forward to. Some of which we enjoy, we are forgiven now, and some that we look ahead to. It matters how we respond to these. Do we respond to God's call with faith or with unbelief? That's the question that Abraham calls us to answer. That's the question that the story tells us. This is just the start of the story of God's plan to undo all the wrong of this world. And yet, it tells us all these wonderful things. It tells us that God really does care. Um, Ultimately, what we're going to see is that Jesus has come and died so that we can have all these promises. And all that is needed is to trust in him. Trusting in the God who came to die so that we could live eternally. So what else can we say but have faith in this promise-making God? Have faith that this eternal life is for you. Faith that you can be one of his people and he, your God. Faith that there is... There is heaven, there is new creation for you, for me, for anyone who believes. Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10.15 as we meet at the Helensborough and Lowman Civic Centre. Find out more on our website, hopehelensborough.org.